Well, another amazing episode with a dear, dear colleague of ours, Dr. Gurdev Parmar. Uh, he's been a mentor to us. Uh, I mean, he's treated your family. He's, uh, I mean, he's another fellow Northern Indian. Yes, he was. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so many connections. Yeah, so many connections. Yeah, yeah, it was such a beautiful conversation around really our innate power that we have as human beings and how sometimes we forget. And so this discussion around arming our immune system we talk about his book we talk about the bigger why of why we do the things that we do and naturopathic medicine and also his big why and his imprint that he wants to leave for the world today yeah i love how he gets, gets excited about sharing his book too mm -hmm. you know some people maybe I, I don't know he just he's like a kid inside just he he so deeply wants people to understand the power of that innate immune function Right. And I love that. I love seeing the passion come through and, and how he shares. And it definitely comes out in his words in his book, too. And, you know, we talked some of these core paradigm shifting experiences that we can all, you know, tap into. And that is really appreciating this, this process of adaptation. The body has all the intelligence, knows exactly what to do with the moment. And uh, sometimes we get in the way. Right. So enjoy. Um, it's one of our, I think, one of our favorite ones that we recorded. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Welcome to the Health Ignited Podcast with your hosts, Dr. Nick and Sonia Jensen. We are partners, parents, business partners, doctors, yoga teachers, and retreat leaders. We promise to bring you real conversations to awaken and ignite your potential to live your best life possible. Join us each week as we dive into topics varying from brain health, biohacking, hormones, and longevity, to relationships, parenting, meditation, and more. Together, creating community and building stronger foundations for the generations to come. So when you're talking about immune health and how to build it, there's so many different facets to consider, right? You know, in this particular podcast, we talked about hyperthermia and really building up that uh, the heat that, that generates a fever response in the body, like an internal one that actually can awaken your immune system, right? Yeah, and we also talked about the daily things that we can do as a family to support our immune system from the foods we eat to how we move and the supplements that we take. Yeah, so if you've got kids, sometimes uh, they're really compliant and they'll, they'll take all their pills. But sometimes they're like, ah, don't give me another pill. I'm so sick of the pills. Uh, adults too. Adults too. I mean, I do that too. Like, mm -hmm. let's be honest. So it's nice to be able to have something that you can use that's actually in a quick little pack to go. It's got all the cool, cool tools that you need from mushroom to acacia berry to um, what else in there? Vitamin C, vitamin D, zinc, some of the core things, uh, but also some antioxidants from uh, uh, baobab and, and uh, the acerola cherry. So there's some great... Uh, nuts and bolts that are in this little mix and then and basically you just pour it into your water and the nice thing is you can carry it with you so you can have it throughout the day and so it's from organifi and it's called immunity and it's definitely one that you should check out yeah so uh code is doctors jensen when you check go to checkout you can get 20 percent off Hello again, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Health Ignited with my amazing wife, Dr. Sonia Jensen. And we've got a special friend today on, on the call. Yes, Dr. Gurdiv Parmar. Um, I met him many, many years ago. I think when I was in third year, I went and preceptored at his clinic and I was in like, ah, oh, wow, this is what a clinic could function like. And definitely felt a connection because we have a similar background and had my family go see him and especially my nanaji who passed away many many years ago so that's my maternal grandfather and he really took care of 
my family mm -hmm. and so he's been such a great mentor to us and um, I remember when we first came back from traveling he mm -hmm. was the first person we connected with to yeah. get advice about our own clinic so yeah. he's always been in our thoughts yeah he really has and 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 just be I mean he's such a nice guy of course and you're gonna get to know him uh, on this call but he's also someone who's who never stops mm -hmm. right I mean when we're looking at his bio and, and following him from a distance um, we're always like we're, we're not doing enough yeah exactly but I just want to share a little blurb and then let's get into uh the conversation so Dr. Gurdav Parmar is a co-founder and medical director of the largest naturopathic health care facility in Canada uh, the Integrated Health Clinic uh, is in Fort Langley, for those of you that are in the Vancouver area. But he's also licensed in Washington State. And uh, he was chosen uh, one of seven original clinics to participate in the Canadian and U.S. Integrative Oncology Study, which is an ongoing multi-clinic uh, prospective trial. And Dr. Parmar has also completed an eight-year retrospective study on his treatment approach. And so and I'm just going to step away from that because there's so much to share here. But basically, this is a gentleman who's taken um, what we've learned in naturopathic school and taken it to just so many deeper and more, you know, uh, impactful levels. He's written a book, a textbook of naturopathic oncology. Uh, I've got the book here called Arming the Immune System with some notes and stuff that we're going to talk about today. Uh, but Gurdav, it's like you just never stop. You're so deeply invested in in the care of the human frame the body the family medicine uh taking care of people who are really really sick and just we really wanted we're, we were so excited to have you on the call and it was hard to find the right time but we, we eventually got you and we are in the middle of sort of the immune season of the year and uh so we're just so grateful that that you're here with us today Thank you both so much. What an amazing intro. I, my, that might be the best intro I've ever had in my life. <laughs> uh, that was so special. Thank you so much. You guys are lovely. Uh, thank you. Um, you know, like I said, it's been a long time coming. We we first reached out to you I think, when you launched your book. That was back in, was it March? I think so. It was yeah. last year uh, around March. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I got through the book and it's amazing. There's so many insights in here, which we're going to jump into. But there's something that's really beautiful about doctors who really anchor into the roots of, of this of the medicine and, and also have their feelers and deep knowledge of progressive medicine and, and what's to come. So you shared a really beautiful story of, of why this book was so important to you now and is really about tapping into some of the stuff that you learned even in undergrad. But I'd love yeah. for you to sort of take us on this journey of why understanding uh, the relationship to the body, our ancestral knowing of what the immune system is all about and how that merges in your, in your current practice. Um, thank you again. Um, so yeah, I, uh, I did my undergrad at Simon Fraser University, which we were just talking about before we got um, on this call, um, where my second son is now going, which is incredibly special. Um, but yeah, my undergrad was in biological sciences, but I really uh, focused on evolutionary biology. Was, you know, um, it's a big question, you know, where do we come from? Why are we all here? Uh, is there a God? Uh, evolutionary biology is something that I, I really dove into because it, it helped me understand uh, where we are on planet Earth and how we got here and from a biological perspective. And I don't think that's at all um, separate from a spiritual belief. Um, you can have both. I think you can, you can have both belief systems, um, which I, which I do. Um, 
but yeah, evolutionary biology was a great undergraduate degree. And in during my undergrad, uh, in my last year, I did an 800 level course, like a master's course um, called Darwinian medicine. Um, I always had a plan of going into medicine. Um, and this was a, a really interesting course where what happens to us as human beings um, was described and explained from an evolutionary perspective. Like, why do we vomit? Why do we get diarrhea? You know, why when we hurt our ankles, does our ankles swell up like this? And why do we build a fever? Um, these sorts of whys, you know, these, these questions to me are the most interesting. Uh, why does our body do what it does? Um, and that course really helped transform my understanding of not only the human body, but what sort of medicine I was drawn to. It actually brought me to naturopathic medicine. I had never heard of it growing up in a small town in BC called Kitimat, where there were no naturopathic physicians. I didn't even know what an ND was. Um, and I learned about it at, at, at around that time. Um, so uh, yeah, evolutionary biology and why the whys, why does the body do what it does? Um, and then how do we as, as physicians, as naturopathic physicians, how do we uh, treat a human who's displaying some of these symptoms? Is it always best to just take those things away? Or is it sometimes better to just step back and let what's happening happen because it's in the best interest of the body, right? Mm -hmm. um yeah and and specifically as you know that book is about fever and i personally think that the fever response is just awesome something literally to behold it's phenomenal if you if you understand it mm -hmm. yeah one of our other colleagues dr kathy carlson once said to me um because i often went to study with her that every time she saw a young child go through a fever, there'll be a developmental leap. Mm -hmm. And that gets missed so often because we're not trained to understand what a fever actually is and what it's doing in the body. But instead we've been indoctrinated with this fear around what could happen. So maybe if you could break that down for us a little bit of like what is happening in the body when there's a fever. Um, I'd love to. Um, so it's, it's a, it essentially, uses every system in the body so the skin is involved the cardiovascular system is involved the neurological system is involved of course the immune system is involved um are uh so essentially this is what happens so let let's let's back up a little bit and understand some really fundamental facts that will help describe what fever does so just think, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I think it's pretty interesting that the average temperature on earth is 16 degrees Celsius. Hmm. The average temperature of a human body is 36 to 36.5 degrees Celsius. Whether you live around the equator or whether you live in the North Pole, our body temperatures are held at about 36 to 36.5. Why? Hmm. I mean, there must be really good reasons why. And um, why when you look across the entire animal kingdom, uh, every mammal, every fish, every bird, every cold-blooded amphibian, certain insects, uh, everything will raise its temperature two to four degrees Celsius on average if it's sick, if it has an infection, a bacterial, viral, fungal, parasitic infection, or even early on in cancer uh, when the body's trying to mount a response. Uh, that's a very interesting thing. 
um, there's four main, there's four uh, body temperature scenarios that we can all experience through our lives. Normothermia, meaning we're at around 36, 36 and a half. Hypothermia, where your body wants to be at 36 to 36 and a half, but because you fell into an ice bath, it's colder. Um, or hyperthermia, where you're on a beach, you haven't had much to drink, or maybe you've had too much to drink, which wasn't water, and and you're out in the sun, and uh, you can get hyperthermia, where your body still wants to be at 36, 36 and a half, but it's much hotter. And then there's actually fever, where the set point, the the thermal regulator in the in the hypothalamus, the set point has increased. The body now wants to be at thirty eight to thirty uh, thirty eight point five to forty point five Celsius. And your body goes through a process to get you there. And that process is just awesome. Mm -hmm. So uh, we release all these, uh, what are called interleukins or, or uh, chemicals in our body, like interleukin one, interleukin two, interleukin six, tumor necrosis factor. All of these things are, are released uh, through the entire system. Our skin does things, you know, like the pores, uh, will at first close down uh, to retain the heat. Um, and that's when we get all dry. Mm -hmm. And uh, the heart will beat faster and the blood vessels in the periphery will shut down and the ones in the center will open up. And all of these things are happening. Um, all of those interleukins and tumor necrosis factor get go up to the brain and then to the hypothalamus, specifically the pre-optic area of the hypothalamus. And that's where PGE2 is released, prostaglandin E2, which is really what raises the thermostat, the, the set point, which is what Tylenol and, and NSAIDs, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, are meant to block PGE2, which is what lowers the temperature and takes away all these horrible feelings of a fever, you know, <laughs> I've got chills and I have aches and I don't want to eat and I want to be quiet and your body's doing all that for very good reasons, but everybody wants to run around while they're sick uh, to continue to live their mad lives. And uh, they want to suppress that fever just as quickly as possible so they can keep doing the thing that they want to do, which I believe is ultimately to our detriment because we're not letting this incredibly intelligent 400 million year old process run its software, which is like exercise for the immune system, which is why the incredible CCR, Kathy Carlson Rink says, uh, there's, an, there's a, a, a leap that happens in a body every time we build a fever. And I believe that's absolutely true. I think we're running a program, which is ancient and smart, and it's exercising a system that needs exercise just like everything else does. Like you guys look fit as fiddles. You exercise all the time, right? So do I. You just went for a run this morning. So yeah. Of course you did. Every day. <laughs> of course you did. Then you got an amazing shape. Uh, I've been watching you guys a little bit. Uh, uh, yeah. So um, I, that's ultimately it. I mean, you know, I, I, I know that over the next while here, we're going to keep digging into this, but that's, that's kind of the big picture. Mm -hmm. I know you want to say something, but before ahead. you do, I just want to highlight something really important that you said about the state of our like conditioning and culture mm -hmm. around being sick and yeah. how we're so programmed to just keep going and keep doing because there's so much fear around loss of 
whether it's significant or financial or whatever that may be, but that drives our decisions. And so we are really asking people to like reflect on why they're making the choices they are when they're going to suppress a symptom. There's usually something deeper going on, not just I got to get out the door. It's more like if I don't get out the door, what will happen? Right. But if we are to like sit back and reflect on all of that, we can then understand how much power we do have in this body and not rely on the outside world so much that dictates everything. So I just think that was really important to highlight because mm -hmm. I think that's the the big why of what, why we do anything, and yeah. make the choices we do. Yeah. Absolutely. And I feel like there, there's, man, like I, this past two years have really showed the inherent paradigm shift that we collectively need to move into. And, and I think, you know, to the point of like, there's a preference, I'd much rather not be sick, like being sick sucks. But I think we're also just afraid of not or feeling out of control, like not really being uh, in relationship with what's actually happening. Like you're speaking to everything from an adaptation point of view. Our body is adapted, you know, millions of years and it knows exactly what to do. But we, we're at conflict with the discomfort. I, don't, I, I seriously think that we just don't like feeling pain. And so we're trying to avoid as much as we can. Mm -hmm. I hate having a rain nose too, or like post nasal drip or like watery eyes or sneezing, like no one likes that. And I think that we've related to that so much as that being bad because it's so like, it's, you feel gross. You feel sometimes you're achy. It's like, we want to avoid pain wherever possible. And this is part of this, like your book is so good at just bringing back this information of like, this is exactly what's supposed to happen. And, you know, it's like, why can't we just have a conversation about this? So, you know, when you talk about these cytokines and these interleukins and all these things that are going on, there's definitely people that seem to not be responding to them in the way that maybe they used to. And you, and you definitely see this with your cancer patients, right? Could you talk about, like, is there a cytokine burnout? Is there like a communication breakdown in the hypothalamus? Like what's happening when people aren't getting the messages? That's a good question. Yeah. I actually don't know the answer to that. I have hypotheses, but I don't really know the answer. Um, I, you know, one of my hypotheses is, as you've read in the book, um, there's actually something called an afebrile diathesis that's been documented since the mid-1800s, where doctors have noticed that people diagnosed with cancer have had a striking lack of fevers through their lives. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I unofficially tally all of my patients or as often as I can remember, which is a lot, because I'm so interested in this. Mm -hmm. I think somebody's going to win the Nobel Prize. It won't be an ND, I'm sure. It won't be me. That's for that's for bloody shirt, but somebody, yeah, you never know. Yeah. yeah right. Sure. <laughs> um, uh, but there's a striking lack of fevers through the lives of people that end up having, you know, a lot of chronic diseases, including cancer. And maybe it's because as children, every time their body tried to run the software, it was suppressed. Mm -hmm. Maybe, mm -hmm. you know, most of my patients say to me when I ask them, you know, can you remember the last time you had a really significant fever or, or, or have you had many fevers through your life? And most people are like, you know, I'm, I'm shocked I got cancer because I never get sick. Like mm. everybody around me like drops and, and they're like, you know, they have all these terrible symptoms and I just fly through it. It's like nothing's even happened. I'm fairly certain that they're being exposed to all the same viruses that cause illness and everybody, but their immune system is what it's our body that actually creates the symptoms of mm -hmm. infection 
I mean, yeah, infection. Yeah, talk talk about that a little bit because I don't think people really understand that. They yeah. think the like the virus, the bacteria is causing the symptoms, right? Right. Well, yeah. in a in a way, they are because if yeah. you think about it, let's say a bug gets into us, uh, and our and our first line of defense, the macrophages and natural killer cells and those Pac-Man looking cells, they'll they'll engulf whatever it is, and when they do that they're the ones that are releasing the interleukin ones and twos. Interleukin means communication between uh, leukines or, or white blood cells. So th this, is their this is the method used by cells to communicate with other cells. So if a, if a cell in your hand wants to communicate to a cell in the brain, they send interleukins. So IL-1, IL-2, IL-6, tumor necrosis factor, all of those things get released. And when that message is sent, that's what interleukin one, for example, we know uh, it was the first interleukin discovered and we know it makes you get aches. It makes you get chills. It does that for good reasons. The, the body's trying to tell you lie down, like don't run around. If you're so achy, lie down. I, I don't want you to feel good. I want you lying down. I want you being quiet. I don't want you eating. Because building a fever is very expensive calorically. It can take up to 50% more calories in a fever state than at a normal thermia state. Well, that's a lot. I mean, just mm -hmm. think of that evolutionarily. You know, when, when we couldn't eat Chiquita bananas 365 days a year and whatever we wanted, whenever we want. Now we call it intermittent fasting. It just used to be called life, right? Yeah, totally. uh, or, or three day fast. Uh, like we do those things now. And, and, but we've always done that throughout history. We're meant for it. It's good for us. Uh, yeah. But yeah, the reason why we lose our appetites for good reasons, the reason why we get aches, the reason why we get uh, uh, chills, um, all of these things happen for good reasons. The immune system, the body is trying to elicit a response for you to conserve energy to fight the fight. Mm -hmm. And by suppressing that and continuing to use your calories unabated and you have this infection sitting in you and you're not actually able to mount a response, all the research shows that's been done on this subject, which is incredibly not that much over the past hundred years um your infection is going to last longer your symptoms are going to last longer you're going to be sick for longer because it takes longer to get rid of whatever you have because you haven't let the immune system run its software is there ever a time now from a parent perspective and i know you have children too so maybe these are conversations that you guys had um when like if you're talking to other parents when is it a time to use something to suppress a fever because what they're told or what we're told is that they could have a seizure if they reach a certain point for these many days so when is it applicable or is it even applicable like maybe just to give some clearance around that great questions um so there's three populations of people where managing a fever really might be important so a very young child, an infant, whose thermoregulatory system, their hypothalamus, their preoptic area of the hypothalamus, whatever, or their whole system is not yet fully developed in order in, and able to manage what could be a, a potentially serious infection. So infant children, not yet 
developed enough to manage. People that have had traumatic brain injuries, mm. where that part of their brain has been injured or damaged, and they're unable to do that thermal set point thing, and what is the ceiling, and is it able to run the software properly anymore because the hardware has been damaged, so then. And then I would say like extremely cahectic patients who don't have the reserves in their body any longer to manage the 50% caloric increase of, of a fever. Those three populations of people, I think managing fever is important and the research bears that out. Mm -hmm. And, and there may be anybody else, maybe not. Yeah. And, and there may be some, with each of those situations, it's not like you're getting on management right away. Like there's, there's an, is there an observation period where you're like, okay, it's been three, four, five days. Like, is there a number of, is there a number of days basically where you start to go, okay, now it's time to manage. And well, I can it. tell you like um, it, in hospitals, for example, where the extremely cahectic wasting right. patients might be, or these traumatic brain injured patients are their fevers as a, as a rule managed immediately. Hmm. no waiting process it's just like prophylaxis like we know what could happen here it's going to be managed that used to be the case for many things i mean um it's been shown that you know for sepsis even bacterial infections of the blood um many severe infections where it was always thought that the best thing to do was to manage the fever well when you compare the population of people that had their fever managed and didn't there's really no difference in days in the hospital or that. In fact, if there is a difference, like I mentioned earlier, the infection might actually be worse and the symptoms might actually last longer if you suppress the fever. Yeah. But Sonia, to your question, is it's a very important one. I mean, yeah, I have four kids. My wife and I have been through this process four times. Um, young, young infant children, uh, or, or, you know, toddlers, uh, at what age do you become comfortable with their, them being able to manage a fever? It, it, it remains a good question. I think this mm -hmm. is a, one of the toughest questions there is uh, when I talk about this, because mm -hmm. there's, no, there's no ideal cutoff. It really becomes a relationship between the parent and the child and, and the trust. Yeah, and uh, the tools, you, I think, too. And having the tools that you yeah. think you need, right? Yeah. Resources. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, uh, it's not an easy question to answer. Um, I don't think there's a perfect answer for it, actually. I think um, it's it's parent by parent, child by child, yes. family to family. Um, everybody has to come to that decision. Mm -hmm. uh, but I can say this, uh, even in children that have had febrile seizures, the evidence shows that if you manage them with NSAIDs, it does not at all reduce their risk of having more febrile seizures. If it's a child that gets febrile seizures, they get febrile seizures. Mm -hmm. um, and if it's a child that doesn't, they typically don't. You know, two of my boys pitched like the best fevers ever, uh, you know, like delirious fevers. Like, mm -hmm. I'm sure they don't want me talking about it, so I won't say too much, <laughs> but, uh, you know, Sometimes it was thought that there might have been things in the rooms oh, wow. <laughs> that, that weren't <laughs> there. Yeah. It was part of the medicine. Yeah. yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And and I'd be like, yeah, great fever, kid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's funny when I'll say to my kids too, when they have a fever that I love it. One, they're like extra cuddly because I feel like when they have a cold, yeah. they're annoying. 
when they have a fever they're like super cuddly and and also just it's such a teaching moment for kids to like look at what your body is doing Mm -hmm. so now all you have to do is let it rest and do what it needs to do so i think it's such a teaching moment the thing that i still need to work on and this is probably my indian background and i know (laughs) all this that i shouldn't feed my kids when they're sick and i i normally don't yeah but there's there's like or just we just listen to them like we, yeah there's just this hungry. feeling yeah. of like oh god i'm not i'm not feeding them yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. Where are they gonna get their nourishment eat, from? eat. yeah eat. yeah but they don't need to yeah yeah what's the saying i think there's it's a uh feed a cold starve a flu right mm-hmm. yeah right what you in the book you did a brilliant job of uh describing the difference between hyperthermia and a fever could you break that down because there, there's some really great ways or tools that maybe people can implement at home just learning this yeah uh so hyperthermia um you guys recall that i mentioned the four states of body temperature normothermia where we want 36 36 and a half hypo you got too cold but your body didn't want you to hyper you got too hot and your body didn't want you to you know the 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 alcohol in the beach scenario, which right. <laughs> a lot of people have experienced. Um, so hyperthermia is not um, your body's intention. Um, it, it's just trying its best to manage the fact that you overheated when the thermostat didn't want you to. Your, your thermostat was still set at 36 to 36.5, but you got too hot. And hyperthermia is where it can run out of control because your body wasn't trying to control that. And you can pass out. I mean, you've heard of people dying from extreme hyperthermia. Um, yeah. Well, it people, happened here in the lower mainland even was not this summer, but the one previous, yeah, right? Yeah. Lots of people during, died. Yeah. During the, the heat. Yeah. Um, uh, there, there's another thing, right? The, the, the world outside of our bodies is also experiencing some extremes of temperature these days that are so interesting around the world. Mm-hmm. Apparently we have nothing to do with that. Right. <laughs> um, it's just happening. Um, yeah. So hyperthermia, your body doesn't really want to be there. It can run out of control. You can pass out. You can, you throw up, you just feel terrible. Um, fever, very well-designed system, where the thermostat's been raised to 38.5 to 40.5 and your body does everything to get there. And once it gets there, that's when, like, just think of it, you've had fevers through your life. At first, you just want to bundle up. You feel super hot, but you're cold. That, mm-hmm. that experience, right? Because as I said, all the, all the intelligently, all the blood vessels on the, on the periphery have sh- closed to keep the blood inside to raise the temperature. And, that's what happens and then once you reach the temperature that your body wants to be at that's when the sweats start right because now your body's letting off all that heat you know it's just so smart isn't it um so yeah hyperthermia and and fever very different processes hyperthermia should be managed like Mm -hmm. you need to get hydrated and you need to get your temperature down and you probably want to be put into a cool bath or a cool shower you want to get some fluids in there you want to bring your temperature down now um fever of course as you guys know i'm i'm recommending you don't bring it down you let it do its thing you bundle up you cook it out you get that fever going uh you sip on fluids to maintain your hydration but you're not doing it to bring down your temperature um incredibly different experience yeah definitely it's an important one though um what about saunas 
was going to ask that. Yeah. Too. Tell, what, what do you, what do you recommend your patients do with saunas? There's um, some incredible studies and in the, the finished studies on all cars cause mortality reduction with hyperthermia states. I recommend my patients use sauna. Uh, I, I use hyperthermia, uh, hyperthermia in my practice. Mm -hmm. um, I use treatments to raise my patient's body temperatures, um, try to build fevers. Um, and sauna is a wonderful way to uh, do low level hyperthermia. So you're, you're not raising your core body temperature too much, but you're experiencing so many of the benefits of improve, increasing cardiovascular output and you're exercising the largest organ of your skin or your body, which is your skin. Um, you're detoxifying, uh, you're doing all of these, uh, you're doing things for your brain, you're increasing the production of all sorts of wonderful chemicals, you're doing all of that. Um, and yeah, the, the research out of uh, Scandinavia and, and Europe, mm -hmm. you, you look across every culture on the planet, you know, sweat lodges here on, on our continent, um, uh, fever therapy or, or heat hyperthermia has been used um, forever by human beings. It's just a very intelligent thing to do. Mm -hmm. And now I think we're learning also like, so cold is really plunge. cold. Yeah, definitely. Do you have yeah. one of those yet? Uh, you know, a, I have a place for it. Yeah. Um, uh, but not, I don't have one yet. I, I'm so my wife sometimes makes fun of me, uh, Karen, uh, my partner in life, just like you two lovely people. I'm, I'm married to my partner in life, um, my best friend, and she's, uh, an ND as well. Um, uh, and, uh, I, I researched the crap out of everything. Okay. So, uh, I, I've been looking at cold plunge tubs for a year. Like it's absurd. I don't know which one to get. Do I get the barrel? Do, do I get those really nice ceramic ones? Do we need to talk? Do you guys have an answer for me? Uh, I, I was just, I was just going to go simple. We're just going to get the barrel. Yeah. The barrel looks great. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it doesn't take up a lot of space. I mean, uh, there are some much nicer ones. Yeah. Obviously, I've seen some. Right? Yeah. yeah. But the barrel looks great. Yeah, totally. You just put it in the corner. Yeah. You're only there to get cold. You don't have to, you're not going to lounge in there for that long. And, right? and sauna to that sauna to exactly. that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Um, I know you you did bring up some some discussions on NSAIDs. Is there is there more? I mean, it plays a suppressive role. Is there anything else that you think that people need to know about NSAIDs? Oh, there's. We so talked about them amazing. so much, but yeah, okay. <laughs> like like honestly, you think yeah. about you. Th no, you they're powerful tools, right? Wow, they're incredible. Yeah. I mean, you know, from from ASA. I, I won't mention brands, but like from uh, acetylsalic acid, salicylic acid, as you guys know, is a very old naturopathic remedy. Uh, it's been used for thousands of years. Um, comes from the bark of a willow tree. I mean, it's effective. I mean, if, if you could take it in high enough dosages without ruining your stomach, um, uh, that's why ASA exists, right? They, they changed it. They put an acetyl group on it. Now it's not as bad tasting or hard on the stomach. Um, and then, you know, uh, acetaminophen and ibuprofen, all of these drugs like diclofenac, um, they are so powerful. You know, you, you release, you reduce the, the production of PGE2 and it has a profound impact on so many different things like 
makes you want to eat again. You don't have any pain anymore. You don't feel so bad. Your headache's gone. Whatever it is, whatever your symptoms of, of feverish stuff is, it works. They also work, as you guys know, and they're used every day in most houses of the world um, for every ache and pain a person gets. Yeah. So I think that's an important distinction is the, the overuse of something, mm-hmm. whether right. it's those or antibiotics or anything. When it's the, the overuse, we lose its essence and we lose its ability to actually yeah. do its job well when the body actually needs it. Correct. I think the more people understand that and this like knowing of the immune system and how it works and what we can actually do on our day to day to help support us. So do you have like a, a morning ritual or things that you do every single day to arm your immune system or to help support your body and your families that other people can tap into as well? Um, you know, um, I don't really have a, a specific morning ritual that that i can say uh literally every morning of the week is different it's very regimented but every mm-hmm. like for today's uh, example being a monday um my morning ritual is very different than it is on tuesday wednesday thursday when my clinic days are just it's all about that so i wake up at 6 a.m i go through all of my patients files in the morning first thing after i do the things that i need to do to get ready and then get the kids ready and whatever but I think the answer to what do we do as a family to work on our immune systems, it's literally the lowest lying fruit. It's um, uh, eating really well. Uh, we we eat a, a very, very clean diet um, in our family, uh, dramatically reduce the intake of things like refined sugars and refined flours and um, uh, refined food period you know like i tell all my patients if you can buy it in a corner store don't buy it uh uh, or you know you guys know um so lots of fresh stuff as natural as possible uh as close to the evolutionary uh, uh traditional diets that we've had um i'm very uh evolutionary in my my thinking period. So if that, that also applies to diet. I know there's so many diets. I have patients every day ask me about what about this diet? What about this diet? And I find myself talking about eat, eat as closely as possible to your genetics as well, you know, as you can and not like of today. Cause what does that mean? I mean, like of the past. So how do you do um, that in your household? Sorry to cut you off. It's we, interesting. We have two different genetics over here too. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. But you know what, my dear, you and I are both North Indians. And yeah. um, I would say that uh, the Northern Indian diet has uh, more similarities uh, to a European diet than dissimilarities um um i mean let's be honest uh all all caucasians come from our neck of the woods and <laughs> we traveled west and then then occupied europe so you know we are the birth of yeah, the original race <laughs> we, and and people misuse the word caucasian we are caucasians actually so there's caucasoids mongoloids uh negroids and dravidians and look at us other than skin tone, facial yeah. structures, everything else, very similar, right? Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Thanks uh, for breaking that down. That's, that's a common fight in our household. Yeah. No, I think I think more similarities than dissimilarities. Other than the fact that us Indians, you know, the holy cow thing, we're way better with dairy than a lot of uh, other populations on Earth. Um, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, you know, I think we're omnivorous, you know, eat animal products and uh, vegetables and nuts and seeds and beans, lentils, and most other things are, are very similar, whole grains, you know, ancient grains, whatever, like it's, it's similar, I think enough. Um, so uh, we do a fairly good job. I mean, um, it's basically fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, beans, lentils, whole grains, and fish and clean birdies and their eggs. Um, the periodic clean four-legged animal, you know, that's, that's the family diet. Mondays and Fridays, dinner's on dad. So, uh, you know, I also throw in a lot of mushrooms in our diet. So, uh, and then lots of exercise. I mean, so diet has to be spot on. Physical activity might be the most important thing, uh, in my opinion, um, for everything. So, uh, like my boys play a lot of hockey and they play a lot of tennis and a lot of golf and a lot of basketball and we're constantly doing everything and our house is like wonderland you know we got a sport court in the backyard where we can play a ton of sports and we have a putting green in the front you <laughs> know like nice. it's we're always doing physical activity we're riding bikes uh, like i told you guys i we do a lot of outdoor stuff like hiking and stuff my my older two boys and i just finished doing the Juan Fica trail as i told you so yeah physical activity uh we we get our sleep you know karen's very militant about sleep time so sleep at the right time get lots of rest wake up in the morning um get the day started with uh, some good food uh, uh i think a lot of stress reduction uh techniques um my boys do mindfulness practices uh, before uh, hockey games and um, are doing visualizations and stuff at a very young age with tools I wish I had uh, when I was younger. You know, you guys know all this. Uh, uh, we supplement with the things that we know we, we must supplement with. We're not like, okay, the supplement cupboard is really full, but, you know, only taking certain things uh, at a exactly. time, right? Yeah, uh, so all the right things. You know, mm-hmm. uh, we do all, we all do, we do the, all the things that we know we should. Um, mm-hmm. And then we do a lot of things that we shouldn't uh, and keep it honest. Right. Uh, okay. uh, so we live a good life, you know, a good balance. Mm-hmm. My, Karen and I both believe that you have to work hard and play hard. And uh, mm-hmm. that's kind of that's kind of the life that we live. live and mm-hmm. and, and when you bring up exercise too, you, you label that as one of the most important things. I mean, it's another example of hyperthermia. Right. It's another it way that we build that heat in the body. And exactly, and, you know, when you, when you, when you, when you if, if we all just listen to what you just shared there over the last two years, you know, if that was the public health message, you know, it's inside out, it's outside in, it's everything. You know, if that really was, if we wanted really, if we really wanted people to get healthy, we would have been sharing that message far and wide. And that would have been such a huge saving grace for the millions of people uh, and the millions of families out there, because it's so easy. We, and we started this conversation with that paradigm of being in fear, disliking the feeling of being sick, afraid, like nobody's business that we might feel some version of discomfort. And then our mind takes over and everything else and our dietary habits go out the window. And I mean, this is a core teaching within your clinic. So, you know, how, how do you, reconcile that when you when you're hearing that outside when your parent patients are coming in fearful i mean our message doesn't change really but how like how did that sit for you and i mean that's part of why you wrote the book but if you could share a little bit on that that'd be that'd be amazing so um i i found i found the messaging through the past two and a half years very difficult 
actually uh, on a personal level. I felt that um, the information that was being shared with the public was um, very one-sided, uh, um, not at all um, educational, mm -hmm. um, very fear-based. Um, I felt actually deeply sad for the people that I could see around me in my community that I know were living in abject fear every single day for the last two, two and a half years. Um, the amount of anxiety and stress that I saw people living with day to day um, was just, it's just very difficult to, it was difficult. I, I can tell you guys, I mean, I had to write this book to get out a lot of energy that I was having a difficult time managing. Um, you know, as you guys know, we have um, two clinics, lots of people work for us, lots of people, uh, their livelihoods depend on our clinics. And we, of course, uh, followed every thing that we had to follow in British Columbia um, from the PHO, uh, from the public health office. And we continue to, um, we still have signs up everywhere that, you know, you need to wear a mask and all of our staff are uh, doing that. And I know all the data on all the masks. I know all the data on which masks actually work and what the uh, most of the masks that are being used do or don't accomplish. Mm -hmm. I have been keeping abreast of all the vaccination data. Um, I've been keeping abreast of what people are actually getting very ill from this virus. I know what an RNA virus is. I know what animal reservoirs mean. I know what being a respiratory illness means. I, and when you know all of those things and you see what the response is and there's a massive disconnect, it's hard to manage as a human being. And, and to keep zipped up about it, which, you know, I, I sadly, you know, I don't know how I'm going to manage this even long term, because I know I had to bite my tongue over and over and over again for so long. And I'm going to look back on this and have some regrets. I know I, know I will. I, I try not to do that. I don't really live in the past. I don't really live in the future. I know this is all we have. And right now it's just great. I, I'm so happy to be with you too. And you know, um, it's been hard to reconcile, yeah. quite honestly. For sure. Mm -hmm. And you're not alone. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's that's been most of us. And in, in, in I think knowing what we know and then and then seeing patients get better. I mean, that's a, that's a big thing, too. It's not like this is our first rodeo, you know. And so and when you're working with people such as you are and, you know, with these cancer diagnoses, they're already living maybe not all of them, but probably most of them are already living in fear. Mm -hmm. So to see this extra weight being put on them and this re-education, you know, I can, I could see this book really just being a way out of that, you know, that knowledge can be powerful for people when they really step into what they can do to take care of themselves. So, you know, hats off to you. I, I think this is your reconciliation mm -hmm. truly is a big part of it. And you Absolutely. know what I did with myself, with my patients in my office every single day, and the conversations that I was able to have with each and every one of my patients on a one-on-one -on -one basis in my office, in a safe space, 
um, also was a part of the reconciliation. Um, Definitely. For yeah, sure. It's like creating space for that remembrance of that power that we talked about in the beginning yeah. of that internal power, the, the fever, and but taking that same concept to everything. And it goes back to that why that we were talking about in the beginning, like why do people choose to suppress things and why do people choose certain things? It's because of those those bigger elements, those bigger elephants that they're dealing with every single day. Yeah. And so we can't necessarily control how people will react to their outside world. But if we keep educating and really teaching them that there is power in their own being, I think, or I hope, my hope is that those seeds will definitely flourish at some point. I believe that. I tell every one of my patients on the first day, the docere, you know, like in our oath, like I love our profession. I, mm -hmm. I just, I'm so proud of what we're able to do and the knowledge that we have and that we share it with humans. It's so, we're so blessed, right? Mm -hmm. Truly. But I, I tell every patient every uh, on, on the first visit, every time what docere means. And mm -hmm. really my job is to educate you and whatever decisions you make, I support your decisions. Like I just want to do my best to inform you so you can make informed decisions. And this is your life. This is your show. This is your body. Like you get to make your own decisions. My only hope is that you're making informed ones. And, you know, in order to do that, you need to know all of your options. And I mean, nobody knows every option out there. Mm -hmm. um, thank goodness. Um, but in my own personal purview in my own toolbox these are the options that i am aware of like conventionally and naturopathically and here are some options that are not conventional or naturopathic that you might think of outside of those two worlds and you know i yeah. and i think choice. that's a that that's about choice and how how powerful is that mm -hmm. um i think it's ultimately what we all want right mm -hmm. yeah I love it. So um, before Sonia asks her final question, where can people get Arming Your Immune System? Please tell us. I, I know you can get it on the website, but yeah, maybe you could share that as well. Yeah. So I have a website, which is just my name, Um, So it's available there. It's available on Amazon and Kindle. I have to say that. Uh, <laughs> and um yeah, that's where it's available. Uh, it's available in our clinics. Um, uh, uh, and that's it. Those are the places where it's available. Um, yeah. And what was the other question? I think you asked me two things. Where can, uh, where can people get it? So, Sonia has a final question. Oh, yeah. Sonia has another question. Yeah, yeah, so this is usually the final question we ask all our guests. And, all right. Um, it's kind of a bigger picture question. Okay. Of If you knew tomorrow was your last day in this physical form <laughs> on this earth... What is the imprint you want to leave behind? Oh, man. Mm. Well, that's a big question. It is. You can take your time. <laughs> okay. I think I'll need to. Um, well, first of all, I think the, the most important imprint I want to leave behind is on my four boys. Um, most important one mm -hmm. <laughs> wow what a question um that's the biggest imprint i want to leave behind this yeah. i i just want my boys to remember their dad mm -hmm. uh 
as somebody that um, loves them endlessly. And uh, just is so proud of them. I love that. You, you, your heart shines through, you know, in, in hearing you speak, your lecture, in your writing, you know, even sharing this, you know, heartfelt message. I, I hope your boys get to, to watch this video. Um, because seeing that love from a father, uh, which, you know, historically wasn't really shared in the way that it is, you know, in these days now. And, and the fact that you wanted to show up that way for your, for your kids is huge. Cause that's, I mean, that's the kind of heart you bring in when you work with your patients as well. So uh, beautiful message. Yeah. Thanks. And then, yeah, you know, professionally, the imprint I want to leave behind is that naturopathic medicine is the future of, of healthcare um, with knowledge uh, being more available and people having the ability to learn that their options for their bodies and their health is far beyond what they might learn from one particular perspective um, is, is really important. And I really want to see our profession continue to grow as it has been for the last however many years, now decades. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, professionally and, and I really, uh, you know, I, I know in our profession, this might not be, um, uh, shared, uh, by everybody. Uh, I know that I, in the world of naturopathic medicine might sit on one end of a spectrum. Um, but I, I really, uh, hope that we as a profession can, come together, unite in what our strategy is going to be to move forward. And, and what does it mean to put our best foot forward as a profession? Mm-hmm. What really can we do to serve humanity and the public? Um, I think we have an incredible scope of practice. We have doctors that have come into this profession from so many different backgrounds. They have, they had so many different intentions of what they wanted to do with the medicine. Um, They had their own dreams and aspirations of what being an ND meant to them. And that's, that's brought, I mean, I can, you guys know, we have, we have some patients or uh, colleagues that will do just mind body talk therapy. We have some doctors that do all hydrotherapy, uh, some that do all homeopathy, um, some that do uh, just botanical medicine and herbology, some that just manage nutrition and diets, some that just do musculoskeletal stuff and only use needles and injectables, Uh, some that just do cosmetics and aesthetics, like... Mm -hmm. <laughs> the the scope of our practice, the scope of our medicine is broad. Um, and I'm very passionate about this. I really think that we as a profession need to think about what it is that we want to do as a profession for the future of our medicine. Um, and, sp- and I think we're at a critical time. Mm-hmm. And I just want to be one of the voices there. Um, because I, I think I have a specific sort of perspective. Um, and I know lots of people share it because I have lots of preceptors that come with me. I have, I, I have my fourth resident starting with me tomorrow 
Sarah Donater from uh, NUNM in Portland. And um, I lecture a lot for our profession and I go to lots of conferences and I know there's lots of people that share similar visions for our profession. And um, yeah, so I, I, I think that's one of the things that I want to leave as an imprint as well as on our profession. What is what is the future of our medicine look like? Mm -hmm. yeah. well, we, want, we want you to be that voice. Mm -hmm. yeah. Absolutely. Dr. Parmer. You're a beautiful man inside and out, and I love your message. Love all you shared. Uh, I want people to check out your book, Arming the Immune System. And uh, thank you for taking time with us today. Thanks, guys. Uh, I give you both my love. Thank you. Okay. Now you're off to a tennis match. You're going to go induce hyperthermia. So... I'm going to go spank some balls around real hard. <laughs> I love it. All right, guys, have a good okay, one. Lots thanks, of and thanks. Uh, you know what? Anytime you want to do this again, I'd be honored. Um, yeah. Keep up your good work. Thank um, you. you guys are you guys are amazing colleagues. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we'll definitely do this again. Okay. Bye for now. Bye. bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Health Ignited podcast. Be sure to download, subscribe, and share as we build this conscious community together. You can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and our website, drsjensen.com. Please note all information on this podcast is not and should not be taken as medical advice. Please see a healthcare professional to receive the care needed. Thank you for sharing this time with us, igniting your health freedom. And welcome to the tribe.